This is a Hot Pie Media Original. This episode of the Inhumane Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, is there anything that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Anything at all? Is there a reason that you seem like you're in Stuckville and you just can't move forward? Well, BetterHelp is here to assess your needs and really match you with your own licensed professional therapist. I love that you're able to chat with them within 48 hours and it's not a crisis line. It's not for self-help. It really is just professional therapy and you can do this securely online. The services are available no matter your time zone and you can log into your account anytime and send your message to your therapist. It's like having them on speed dial. You can even schedule a weekly video or phone session, and you never have to sit and wait in a lobby. BetterHelp is really committed to, you know, facilitating those great therapeutic matches, and they make it super easy and free to change therapists if you need to do so. I know with a lot of the service providers of anti-human trafficking organizations and people like you who are listening to this could have some vicarious trauma and the therapists they see don't normally allow them to move back and forth. And so here you're able to change therapists if you need to do so, um, so that you find a better fit. Now, BetterHelp really wants you to start living a happier life today. So please visit their website, betterhelp.com. And because they're doing such a great job, you can join over a million people who have taken charge of their own mental health and with the help of an experienced professional. And so we have an actual special offer for you today for all of the Inhumane podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash inhumane. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Inhumane Podcast, a Hot Pie Media original. I'm thrilled to invite you to listen in on my conversation with uh, Jenny Sue Jessen. She has been doing the work of counter-trafficking for more than 20 years. You have someone with such profound experience, not just as you know, an individual who faced exploitation herself, but someone who is raising an army to eradicate human trafficking. Her model, her approach is so completely different. I I can talk to her for hours and we're so excited. We have three parts of our of our small little chat that was supposed to just be one part, but we just couldn't get enough of her. So she has founded Compass 31, an organization with her husband and people. She is going to unfold the work that they have been doing for over two decades. And you're not going to want to miss it. She is going to give you tools, um, resources, and she's just going to change your mind about counter trafficking. So let's listen in. So, Miss Jenny Sue, thank you so much and welcome to the Inhumane Podcast. We've been, I know, trying to get you on for the past few few months, and we're just so grateful that you are actually finally here virtually. I am excited to spend some time with you. Yes, ma'am. Between your busy schedule and mine, it was challenging and worth the effort. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's true. I very much appreciate it because I just, you and I, the first time we chatted, it was just like 
clicking for, you know, especially on my end. I was just like, I love her. I love everything she's done. And it just, it seemed like we were just two girlfriends kind of chatting it up about the the fight that we are taking on with with human trafficking. No, it was an immediate connection and and hard to find a place to stop when we were visiting for the first time. <laughs> That's true. I think I scheduled us for 45 minutes and I think it was about an hour and a half, two hours later. That's very true. Maybe I longer. think so. <laughs> it, it's an incredible when you meet a kindred spirit, you know, a fellow warrior with similar passions and experience entering into the battle. That's always just a really dynamic interaction. So I appreciate your friendship and look forward to more conversations. Yes, ma'am. I mean, well, and really, right, that's how we prevent from burnout as well as we're able to find somebody else that has the same like approach and thought process. And we're like, whoo, I was able to get all that off. That that helps me a great deal. It, It is incredible to know that none of us are in this battle alone. That we are all collectively, you know, perhaps my contribution seems small in the great scale of things, but together, collectively, we have the capacity to make effective change. So that is inspiring and does help avert burnout for sure. Yeah, I love I love how you put that. And the word collectively was always stands out to me. And that's kind of what we share with our, you know, with our audience. And the whole point of the Inhumane podcast is your small part. No matter how insignificant you think it is, it literally will save somebody's life now in the future. Right. And even somebody's past. Um, And so it's like we just want you to find your role. Right. So that we're able to to move forward and and be in this together. And so you come to us today and I would love for our listeners to hear all about, you know, Compass 31 and, and really, why did you start it? Yeah, thank you. What what a great opportunity to share a bit about my passion. So our organization is called Compass 31 and we are a faith based organization. So our mis- mission statement is to make Jesus known by fighting human trafficking through prevention, restoration, and leadership development. And our organization actually is currently with restoration projects in Thailand, Bangladesh, the Middle East, with new countries opening up by God's grace in 2022. I came to this work from a place of personal experience and recovery. So I was sold into the sex trade in the U.S. by my step-grandfather at the age of four and then survived 13 years of all of the drama and trauma you might imagine associated with childhood sexual exploitation, rape for profit. And then at the age of 17, the day after a failed suicide attempt, God provided for my rescue and escape. And so the recovery from that has been long. (laughs) It's been hard. It comes with a lot of baggage. There's still physical and emotional scars. Sometimes I still sleep with the lights on. Or even after 27 years of marriage, I'm still occasionally a touch-me-not with my husband because of being haunted by things that happened in my childhood. And yet, I would say, but Jesus, and yet, 
God has empowered and equipped me to not be defined by my past, not be defined by what happened as a child, but all of those experiences have equipped me now to have a global impact in the counter-trafficking movement. And um, so what a privilege and honor it is to see these deep, dark places lay the foundation for inspiring others to know what freedom looks like. And so that's how we came, came to our work was through the, through the ashes of trauma and rising in the beauty of redemption. Oh, I love that. I mean, I, and I know it's your story and I know you've, you've, it's taken you years to develop, you know, that story, like most of our survivors, right. Um, it, it takes a long time to be able to self-identify and then be able to articulate their story in their voice. Um, and you you just say that so beautifully. And I and I know and I've heard and I've read testimonies and things of that nature where people can connect with that when you sh- when you share it. And so there's that hope, right? There's that hope that they never thought was even possible. Like that word doesn't even exist because we're in survival mode every single day of our lives. And I don't see tomorrow. I don't see a week. I don't see five years. I see right now. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the critical pivot points that certainly was true in my own life, but I've seen often with those that I am honored to work with that, that I journey alongside that have experienced exploitation. One of these really magical points of transformation is the recognition that you've already, they have already survived the unthinkable. Mm -hmm. That is the evidence that they have within them, everything they need to go on to a life of purpose and impact. Yeah. And Um, Like you said, so many times when you're in the midst of trauma, it can blind us to anything outside of the trauma. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing, you know what, within me is courage, is strength, is resilience. I'm of the belief that those that have experienced human trafficking are some of the most fierce and resilient warriors on the planet. And when they recognize Mm -hmm strength within them, then it gives them and enables them, empowers them to rise up beyond what they ever thought or asked or imagined. Yeah, you're, uh, you're absolutely right. That's right. One of the things that you constantly see in so many of them is resilience is something that almost like, like it can't be taught. It, it, it's built within you and then you just go forward with it. And when so many of us that are not in this space, we don't know how to be resilient. And these individuals, oh my goodness, um, not that not that we want their strength to only come from there and that they it, it's by no choice because someone um, you know, exploited them or trafficked them or what have you. And it's an awful way to gain that resilience. Um, however, that type of character that it builds in you and that type of strength. Um, you know, like you said, it's just, you're humble to work with these individuals. And I know when I chat with them and I'm, uh, working with them and partnering with them, I, I'm just in total awe, 
total all of the individual that they are, and they just don't even know it yet, right? 99.9% of the time, they just don't know it yet. Um, And they bring such a power to themselves and honestly to others around them. Um, They just haven't seen it. And that's why I'm sure you love working with them like I do, because it's almost like we're turning the mirror. It's almost addictive. You know, (laughs) if you look at any warrior class Mm. around the world or throughout history, they become warriors through this brutal but purposeful training. Yeah. Right. Like you don't become a a Navy SEAL by sitting Mm. back fat and happy. Right. The the elite and the aristocrat class that have not endured hardship Mm -hmm. are are much softer. Right. Versus uh, a person that's experienced exploitation, ongoing complex trauma these people have like, they have lives, they go to school, they have sometimes children, they have partners, they have families, and they endure this unimaginable bloody violence day after day. And day after day, they get up and square their shoulders and face another day or another night Mm -hmm. of exploitation on behalf of survival, their own survival or the survival of people that they love and care about. Yeah. And so it's brutal. Um, I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody go to the Academy of Exploitation to learn how to be a warrior. Absolutely. However, if you compare it, I know it's apples to oranges, not apples to apples, but if you compare it to warriors around Mm -hmm. the world, it is a brutal training ground that results in a fierce resilience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I love the way you put that because I think that's when, you know, for our listeners and those individuals who, you know, are wanting to create a non nonprofit and to help or uh, to create some sort of program is for them to really understand um, the type of individuals, right. That are, that are, in this space. And like you said, I mean, they are, for lack of a better word, they really are bred to, you know, become this warrior without anyone even realizing that that's what we're creating, right? Or that the predator is is creating, that that type of life is creating. So um, I think it's important for them to actually see that because too many times, which I'm sure you've experienced that as well, is we just see victim. Right. right. And then the and then the victim. And and I say it with that type of tone because <laughs> right, it changes our approach. I know. <laughs> right. And so the cringe. It is one of my my pet peeves. <laughs> it is. Yeah. The whole well, it is it is important to recognize that people that have experienced exploitation, men, women, and children mm-hmm. that have experienced exploitation, they absolutely have been victimized. Right. A crime has been perpetrated against them regularly and repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Multiple crimes have been committed. They have been victimized. But to see them as a victim then infers an identity on them. Right. And that's where I disconnect. Because to have been victimized is to have experienced a crime. Mm -hmm. 
To be a victim is an identity that infers I have no autonomy. I have no ability or capacity Mm -hmm. to move forward without the assistance of someone else. And and that's where the disconnect is. So actually, I rarely even refer to people as survivors, certainly never as victims, but also not as survivors, because I don't want to infer what I think their identity is. Mm -hmm. In fact, they are a man, a woman, a child, uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully made, I believe, in the image of God. And so their experience equips them. It doesn't identify, uh, it doesn't identify them is my personal belief. Oh, no, beautifully said. And I love that our listeners are are hearing that coming from you because that's one of the things that we, you know, try to share with them. And, And they've heard some of our stories where, you know, some of these organizations, um, you go in and everyone is a, you know, everyone is a victim. And so that, when they're already having trouble with identifying who they are, we've already right. placed that they are a victim. And right. so then you can never move from being a victim um, and you can never move forward. And right. the whole point is is for them to find who they are and self-identify and so that they have this self-sustaining life that they choose to to build. And we're just coming alongside of them. We're not their savior. And we know right. that is definitely very easy to do. So I love that you, how you, how you put it and and thank you for that, because I know with this very complex, you know, topic and everything that falls into it, you know, our listeners alike are just like, how can I, you know, articulate that better when I'm, when I'm talking to my people do, how do I make sure that I'm not a savior because we've had these conversations and you're aware now. So, um, so, so well put And and I love, yes, that they are definitely, uh, warriors and we need to identify them as they see fit first right. and not right. as a victim first. Um, right. so thank you for that. That is great. And so, you know, one of the things about Compass 31 is I love your multifaceted approach. And when you go to Compass 31 website, you'll you'll see it. And so you talk about leadership and you and it's very rare to see that right in the counter trafficking movement. Um, and so I'd love to for you to dig a little bit deeper about why you chose these this approach um, kind of in your program or your model, um, because it's it's different, in my opinion yet so needed. And I feel it's a really big gap when you look at other, you know, organizations um, and they have their own mission and purpose, but I'd love for you to talk about your, your approach and how you see them gaining that freedom within Compass 31. Yeah. So when Compass 31 started, we started by providing foster care to teenage mama baby sets. So these were teenage girls that were coming out of exploitation that were pregnant or had babies as a result of their exploitation. And we raised them. They brought We brought them into our home. My husband and I, we raised them as our own daughters and kids. And my mama's heart led the way. Mm-hmm. In, just like with my own children, I have three children born to me and my desire for my own children growing up was that they would be the fullness of everything they were intended to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a cookie cutter 
stamp that said, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be, I wanted them to be everything that they were intended to be. Mm -hmm. So when I started raising these kids that had endured significant, complex, profound trauma, I didn't have a cookie cutter model of, okay, we're going to all make (laughs) t-shirts and sell t-shirts, or we're going to all do the six months life skills course, and you're going to be back out on your own. Instead, I had a mama's heart for them. And I saw back to what our first topic was. I didn't see victims. I saw these fierce, resilient, wild, stubborn, wonderful teenagers. Yeah. And I wanted them to achieve everything they were intended to achieve, everything they were created to be before trauma entered their life Mm. and believing that they're unique and fearful and wonderful. And so our program actually provides for their education to the highest level that they want to pursue. And the the participants we have in our program right now globally range in age from four to 28. And we have seen program participants not only graduate high school, go on to university, We have seen um, one graduate from law school and pass her bar exam Two program participants graduate with their master's degree in social work. So rather than cookie cutter stamp them, our goal from day one is to start equipping them to understand how trauma has impacted them, how trauma impacts the brain Mm -hmm. and how they have the capacity to choose what they want to do with that impact and how they want to move forward from here. And then we, we walk alongside them. Our restoration model provides for medical care. It provides for counseling. It provides for foster home housing where they're placed in a loving family. Our foster parents are all equipped with a model called trust-based relational intervention which comes out of TCU, Dr. Karen Purvis in Texas, um, is this beautiful model for how to love and walk alongside kids from hard places. And that includes kids that have experienced commercial sexual exploitation. And so as a mama, that was where we began. And we've watched it grow exponentially beyond what I ever would have dreamed possible. It's just really incredible to watch these kids who were once really, really victimized to step into their power and their strength and become catalysts for cultural change. Mm -hmm. So it is a fairly unique model. Yeah, it totally is. And I've, you know, I've, I've, I've partnered with a lot of organizations and helping them create curricula and all kinds of different things and the coaching aspect of it for them. And listeners, I can't tell you enough how much Jenny Sue's is just different at Compass 31. And I love that she said, I didn't come out with this cookie cutter. And I'm like, oh, that's why her and I get along so well. Is that we 
there is, I'm like, what, why are, that's all checking boxes. I can't be just checking boxes, right? Like, and I thank you for listening to your, your mama's heart because that has created something that they needed, right? Not that just like what you needed and what your staff needed, but what they needed. And then in turn, it's what the community needs, right? In your area. This episode of the Inhumane Podcast is brought to you by Canopy.us. Now, I know you've heard me talk a lot about the dangers of online in our world today. So I'm here to tell you about a few tips that can help protect your kids online from porn and sexting. I highly recommend, of course, to use parental controls on all of your family's devices. But the truth is that the average age of exposure to porn is 11 years old. And one in four kids have received a sext and one in seven have actually sent one. So that's why Canopy is such an important app to install on your kids' devices. Canopy actually helps prevent the exposure to porn before it happens. They use their technology actually filters images and videos in milliseconds. And when Canopy detects a nude or lingerie-esque image, it's saved to your child devices. It will give them the option to delete or send to you for approval. That's like a lot of checks and balances. So you can try Canopy for today by using the code INHUMANE and check out for 30 days free and 20% off for life at canopy.us. And you know what comes to mind when you say that, you know, just off the cuff is that not only is it not a cookie cutter model for the program participants, Mm -hmm. but it is not there's not a cookie cutter model for anyone who wants to engage in counter trafficking. Yeah. Like the lane you're running in is distinct and it's important and it's critically um, impacting the counter trafficking movement as is mine, Mm -hmm. as is the mom who's a stay at home mom with kids, you know, all under the age of 12 and the attorney and the law enforcement officer and you know, the border patrol agent, we all have really unique roles. Mm -hmm. And if I try to fit in your mold, or you try to fight fit in mine, we lessen our impact. Mm, So good. But where we can collaborate, join hands, join forces, then it extends your reach and extends mine. Yeah. And it multiplies the impact of each of us. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that, you know, steering away, away from the cookie cutter, not only is every person that's experienced trafficking unique in where they will go and what they are becoming, but every person that engages yeah. in counter trafficking has a unique opportunity for impact. So great. And, uh, and the words, right? constant of the impact, the impact, the impact, because it's, it's true. And that actually is your metric, right? In a sense, like I don't, I can follow this model, but what is my, my impact or I can, or, and, or I can do this, the needs of the actual individuals I'm partnering with and what is that impact. And usually when you look at it from that unbiased lens, you're going to see completely different impacts. Um, and either we continue to go that route or we alter it to actually, right, fill those gaps that, that we know are here and there. Um, so no, super, super great. I love, I love that. So thank you for sharing it. Um, and I think our listeners, right, because again, the Inhumane podcast is made for the community. 
we want the community to join the fight so we can raise an army so that we can outnumber the predators and we can outnumber the buyers, right? And we're converting buyers into these allies. And too many times, you know, people just want to fit that that mold that you're referring to. And so I'm going to ask you a question because um, you started off about your your faith. And I'm, I, I love that Jesus has pushed you into this movement, right? He has spoken to your heart for you to keep going. Um, and I think there's two really big demographics in the counter-trafficking movement. There is the faith-based and then there is more of the government um, kind of approach. And so I know when I'm on different calls and different conferences and things of that nature, I normally, my conviction has to kind of stand up a little bit because a lot of the um, faith-based nonprofits, we kind of get a little bit of a bad rap and it's like, oh, we just want to, you know, they just want to push God onto them. And I'm like, I have not seen that. Um, at least with the individuals that I have vetted or worked with in some way, shape or form. And it's kind of goes back to your point of you have your way, your unique way. I have my unique way. You have yours. But in reality, we're all a piece of the puzzle. We're right. not, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's detrimental when we want to push one away from the other, especially when it's not causing harm, right? If it's causing harm, totally different story. Um, So could you speak a little bit about, I guess, the faith-based individuals who are anti-faith-based in this this movement? Because I think it's important for our listeners to understand you choose the route that you want to go in and maybe some things to look for when it comes to a faith-based organization, because I do get a lot of those questions, like, how can you vet them? How do you know that they're really not pushing God onto them? And that, you know, and it's just, a, right. it's rhetoric more than anything else. Right. Yeah, that that is a great question. And I don't know that I have a great answer equal to it. I will give you just my gut, my gut response. Yeah, please. The way that I approach it, and and I hope the way that your listeners perceive it, is if I'm sharing, if I'm invited to share my story, then for me, Jesus is an integral piece of that. Mm-hmm. The, there's no doubt in my mind that God provided my rescue and escape, and it was a personal encounter. So if if I'm invited to share my story, it's it's part of my story. Yeah. That being said, I think um, the fear of organizations that profess to be Christian organizations or Christ-centered organizations. The fear is that we are, you know, with our whip proselytizing, Mm -hmm. like you have to convert or you don't get services. Mm -hmm. The reality of what I often find, not always, you know, there's good actors and there's bad actors in every field. Absolutely. Those professing to be Christian and those not. Mm-hmm. There's good actors, there's bad actors in across the spectrum. But for the most part, what I find is that organizations that are built on a Christian foundation are operating by Christian principles of love and grace and truth and identity. You're not defined by what happened. Right. You are more than what happened. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have the capacity to do all things. We, we love, we accept with grace, with mercy, 
with deep respect for the humanity Mm. of the individual, recognizing that they're made in the image of God. And that applies across the spectrum of whatever this individual, you know, what their gender identity is, what their sexual preference is. All of that is irrelevant because we are interacting with this human in front of us that Mm -hmm. has inherent value. I would say that is true of most of the organizations that I interact with that are Mm faith-based. The fear is that Christian organizations are going to proselytize, that they're judgmental, that they're pushing their beliefs, that they're belittling, which is actually contrary to yeah. everything that Christ was and is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, so, so it does happen. Um, and there, there are secular organizations that are very aggressive in, in proselytizing for their agenda, That's you right. know, whatever that agenda is. And, and so I, I go back to the, there's no cookie cutter. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes organizations profess to be faith-based and they are doing more damage than good. And sometimes organizations are humanitarian and they are doing more damage than good. And so my, my default is generally to do your research, go with survivor led organizations or survivor informed organizations, and then go with people that, you know, you know, like your listeners, they know you, they know your heart. They know you are not going to recommend somebody that you haven't interacted with and believe in. Right. So if they start there and then they vet the person Mm -hmm. and they have conversations and they look at the results, then you have a pretty good understanding of how, how faith comes into play. Right. Yeah. Oh, look at that. You said you didn't have a great answer. What? It was an amazing, <laughs> amazing response because it's, it's, again, it does come from your heart, but I think what people can actually maybe feel and understand based off of what you just shared is that, Hey, I am walking the walk of, you know, of my, of my faith. Um, right. And of course, if I am doing the complete opposite of what I am stating and how to be Christ-like, we're all going to come short of that. But if right. if I'm so off base, then, I mean, I have this platform and someone please tell me I'm really off base or I'm missing the mark on this part, right? So right. I can correct because I'm human as well. Um, right. And I think that's the the other big piece. And I appreciate you you sharing that with our audiences. We live in an overload world of information. And there's so much white noise. And a lot of times it's just easier of like, oh, this person said it. So that is, you know, like gospel, if you will. And I'm going to run off with that. And then they're so disappointed when that individual disappoints them or that organization. And I'm like, I know, but did you do your own research? You still you still got to do that part, right? You still got to do that part so that you know you're attaching yourself to something great. Um, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. And that's that actually leads me into, you know, you're growing. You're growing internationally. Compass 31 is growing internationally. And I do want to talk about the Priceless Cube because when you shared that with me, I was like, whoa. 
that's awesome. Like that is such a great prevention piece. Um, so I do want to talk about that. And I don't know if you can tie in because again, you do something so rare, which the demographic that you all help is from age four to age 28. That is, again, it's just so unique. Obviously, you see that there is a need. Um, we've talked about on our, on the Inhumane podcast so many times that, right? Okay, sorry, our residency is only two years or our program only leads you to be here for six months. I'm sure your trauma is done. Good luck with, good luck with that all. Um, and, and we understand funding. We understand all of those things, but tell us first why, why that age gap or age range? Help our listeners understand why Compass 31 is helping from age four to age 28. Well, when we started, we started with teenage mama baby sets, right? Mm-hmm. And we started with three teenage girls and their littles. And so we had this vast age spectrum, right? And okay. our teenage girls had been exploited, but their babies not yet. That's great. But in those first opening weeks, the social worker there locally wanted, invited, asked repeatedly for us to take a fourth, a 15-year-old mama with her one-year-old baby. and. I Compass 31 was just beginning. Mm-hmm. We were I we didn't have a plan, we didn't have a program, we didn't have the funding. I had said yes for 4 to 6 weeks while I found permanent placement for these three mama baby sets and Compass 31 was born. And after a couple of weeks of the social worker calling several times a week and us and me going I don't know, I don't know. Um Our 11-year-old son came into my husband's office and said, Dad, Scarlett, my sister and I, we don't need our own room. We'll sleep on the couch. We'll sleep on the floor. Do whatever you have to do. Just bring her home. And, you know, my husband and I humbled out of the mouths of babes, right? Yeah. Faith beyond what we had. Mm -hmm. So I called the social worker and said, okay, we'll take her. And the social worker said, great, you know, I'll get back with you in a couple of hours. Well, she called back a couple of hours later and said, you know what? She's gone. There's no record that this girl, she had been part of the juvenile um, detention program and she ceased to exist. There was no record that she ever existed. She and her baby were just gone. And I mean, gone, gone, no record. Wow which means they had been sold or killed. Mm -hmm. And I was too late. And at that moment, I was devastated. And I'm confessing here to you and to all of your listeners, this failure of my, my faith, my know-how, my fear. And I, I didn't say yes soon enough. And I, to this day, have no idea what happened to that 15 year old girl and her baby. But I made a commitment at that point that my answer would always be yes. My default is yes. And it's it's God's idea. So he'll have to provide. He'll have to figure it out. And so from that point, our answer is yes. And I deeply, I know there's other organizations that have really narrow parameters of who they can serve and how they can serve them Mm -hmm. and time limits. And I'm really grateful for all of those organizations and the role they play. For me, I could not 
continue living with integrity in the work I do with a filter in place that is ruled by fear. Mm. My default has to be yes. And so we serve in some of our programs, we serve boys and girls. Some of them are just girls. Some of them are girls in their mid to late 20s who have been repatriated from the country that they were exploited in. My default answer is yes. And then I leave it, that's the faith-based, I leave it to God to figure out the details of how to finance it and what that looks like. Well, thank you so much for for sharing that with us. I truly appreciate it. And and honestly, I honor you for saying yes, Um, because you're right. Everybody, like we talked about, everyone has their purpose and their role. And even though it's narrow um, or those are their stipulations and funding and all that and all that jazz. um, But for someone to say yes, because we know so many programs are limiting because of those requirements um, and and that's another, you know, another reason why, why we're missing the mark, right, in a lot of areas. Um, and the lack of trust also, because they're coming for help. They made the decision to help get help or, you know, law enforcement got a hold of them. And here they are. And, and we say no too many times. They hear no right? They they come from a place of no, and they're the only ones saying yes, because they have to give up things that they're not intended to give up. And yet right. everyone else is telling them no, right? Can't do this, can't do that. And no, no, no. So I honor you for saying, for saying yes. And for Compass 31, for saying yes, and your staff and your volunteers and everyone just saying yes, because 28 is such a large number. And, you know, with our company, our organization, you know, we help 50-year-olds, right? We coach 50-year-olds who have been out of the life for 20 years, for 30 plus years, but they have nowhere else to go. They have, they still need help and conversation and things of that nature. And there's no programs for them that are, you know, when they're in their 50s and been out of the life for so long. Um, So I thank you and I honor you for that because it is, I know it's a huge task to take on for, for lack of a better term. Um, but you are making a huge difference. That is amazing. Okay, everybody. So I'm going to push pause on part one. You are going to have to listen in to part two and you are not going to want to miss it. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.